0: Hey everyone. Welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaSTop, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show. Eric Santos, CEO of Resultados Digitais. Welcome, Eric. Pleasure to be here, Alex. Is it sunny Sao Paulo or Florianopolis uh, today? I'm in I'm in
1: Florianopolis right now. It's sunny, uh, a little bit uh, warm today. Uh, it was rainy yesterday, but yeah, it's still summer in Brazil, so we get to enjoy it a little bit. Not so much outdoors now, but
0: that's right. That's uh, right. So, yeah. are you? Is, is this your apartment window? Or are you in the office? So you working from home, like many others. Uh, I'm working.
1: Yeah, I'm working from home this week. Uh so we 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 had the whole office uh, we have about 700 people here in Florianopolis. Everybody's working from home. The city is in a virtual lockdown as well. So mm-hmm. but uh yeah, this is my house, so I'm working from home.
0: Uh we should uh, we could perhaps pivot the uh, the podcast to like an MTV Cribs. Type, uh, type thing. Uh, but yeah. that's, an, that's an idea for, uh, for, for yeah. the next time. I, gu- I guess just kind of on that, because it, it, it is topical and uh, I guess there's kind of some evergreen kind of lessons from this. So, so everybody like this week because of coronavirus has, uh, has uh, uh, moved to working from home, uh, 700 people uh, working uh, sorry, in Florianopolis in, in, in your company working from home. Is this the first time that you've ever had to do anything like this? And like what plans, like how, how, how have you adapted? Has there been, what are the kind of key lessons, like learnings, challenges there?
1: Yeah, on this scale, yes, the first time. Uh, well, we have now uh, five different offices. So I think over the, the last few years, we've learned how to uh, do most of the work remotely. Uh, our product team is pretty much uh, on that setup already, even though they, they come to the office, but they have the virtual rooms, you know, they, they do everything online. So I think the transition hasn't been that bad for us uh, in terms of tools and practices. But one thing that we're, we're, we're learning the hard way is that most people don't have a, a, a pretty good setup at home. So they don't have you know the proper chairs and internet connection, that kind of stuff. Uh, and and of course the psychology psychological part of the work too because uh, people are very anxious uh, these days you know they don't know what's gonna happen not only with their lives but their with their jobs and uh, so we, we in, and especially since we're not around it's harder to, to to provide them with support as well so we we're, we're being very cautious about that and uh, taking extra steps in, in order to you know, have everybody feel safe and uh, and and warm at this time but uh overall i think we were ready for this transition so it hasn't been uh too bad and uh and it's good i think that you know after this crisis over we'll probably have a lot more remote work uh rather than uh office work at rd i guess
0: yeah certainly we'll uh, save on the, uh, the the office cost potentially depending on yeah. your uh, depending on your lease uh, and and yeah and, and hopefully this is over uh, soonish, but uh, we're we're certainly preparing for uh, you, you know at, at least sort of a month or two uh, more, if if not longer, but hopefully not uh, not longer. Um, um, but uh, but but you know we not sort of jumping the gun there. Like uh, we've had you on before, uh, but for those that didn't listen to that podcast yet, uh, you know, can you tell us uh, you know who you are? Uh, who is Eric Santos? Um, a little bit about yourself uh and uh, what uh, what is uh, you know uh, what is it that the company does and like how you came about sort of uh, you know founding this company
1: sure um i'm eric santos ceo of founder of uh, co-founder of rd we have a marketing automation software called rd station and then uh, last year we acquired a crm company so now we have a Uh, another product called RD Station CRM, too. So we have both a marketing automation product and a a CRM software, too. We've been around for eight years now. Uh, This is my second company. Uh, My first company was in the mobile space. We used to develop mobile apps and sites for brands back in the 2005, 2006 years. Um, And then uh, the the idea for RD actually came... uh, because of a pain that I was, you know, feeling in my previous company, uh, we were doing uh, online marketing back then, but it was pretty hard. Not only in terms of uh, in terms of tools uh, that we, we had to use, different tools that didn't, you know, talk to each other. Then uh, it was hard from from an operation perspective, but also uh, also in terms of methodology, we didn't know exactly what to do and how to do that, and we thought that. Uh, Online marketing, in general, was a very big opportunity for, for SMBs in Brazil. Uh, but like nobody was doing anything uh, in that field. Uh, so we decided to start a company to, to do just that. Uh, we launched the product in 2012. Uh, it's been a crazy journey so far with, uh, as I mentioned, we have now over 700 employees, uh, more than 15,000 customers, now in more than 20 countries and our, our main focus is still Brazil, where we have the majority of our customers. But we, uh, a couple of years ago, we started this international expansion plan, and, uh, and, and the goal there is to be the leading growth platform for SMBs in emerging markets. So we started with Latin America, and now we're expanding to other emerging markets as well.
0: Cool, Th- thanks for the background there. And um, your, your venture back, the last round of funding was a Series D, uh, is that right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah,
1: we raised our Series D last August. We raised about $50 million,
0: yep.
1: uh, led by Riverwood Capital. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we have, uh,
1: uh, we have, we have backing by Riverwood, uh, TPG, Red Point Ventures, and a couple of local funds here from Brazil.
0: So now, so now we've got the, the Series D. I guess, first of all, uh, I guess you're on this growth path and uh, you raise the $50 million, you get to Series D. <laughs> Uh, from that point, um, you, you know, what changes uh, you, you know, for, for the company, uh, if anything?
1: I think we, we can divide our story into you know, a couple of different uh, phases. But I would say that until 2016, we were very focused on basically just growing the company here in Brazil with the one product that we had. And then we, at that point, we realized that the opportunity was bigger. And we were mature enough and strong enough to start pursuing new avenues of growth. Uh, and, and two of them that we just started exploring back then was the first one was the, the international uh, expansion um, opportunity. The idea that the same things that we did in Brazil in terms of education, in terms of uh, you know, methodology, partner channel and, and software itself. Uh, would be replicable in other emerging markets. Uh, and, and we saw that most of those markets were still basically untapped. Uh, so that was the, the first idea that we started exploring back then. And then the other one was the idea that we actually create a meaningful connection with our customers and they have uh, needs in other, uh, in other areas of their growth machines as well. So uh, we think that we can help them uh, with two different things. One is to really create an ecosystem of other integrated apps uh, around our our, our software. So uh, we have now more than 100 other uh, SaaS companies from Brazil integrated with their D-Station in all different verticals that try to help uh, our customers uh, having a better uh, user experience and and, and, uh, more consistent customer data. And uh having additional products to the product line as well. That would be uh that's something that we started with the CRM acquisition uh, a couple of years ago. And uh we we're thinking about you know the uh, a roadmap for that as well. So we started exploring those ideas in 2016, but actually only last year that we actually had meaningful data and proof points who really you know step on the on the accelerator and uh and put you know, more resource into those uh, initiatives. So that was the main idea for the for the Series D. We at our what we call the, the the core business unit, which is the marketing product in Brazil, we're break basically at break even. You know, we're growing sustainably, uh, still very fast, but you know, sustainably we don't need we wouldn't need an, uh, a new round of funding for that but uh for the other opportunities uh definitely more more investing so that was the main idea for for that round of funding and uh and, and yeah i mean we we had a a very aggressive plan for 2020. i think that most of it still applies uh, we haven't changed anything uh meaningful yet uh, but but of course we've been You know, cautious about what's going to happen in the next few weeks or months and trying to track uh, different leading indicators to see if there's anything meaningful that we need to change uh, in our approach. But rather than that, the goal is to really become the leading growth platform for SMBs in emerging markets.
0: So from the the, the Series D enables, obviously, these strategic ideas you've been thinking about and looking at for a couple of years, uh, you, you know, prior. Um, and one being the, the internationalization, you know, for growth and looking, focus on emerging markets and one being this kind of platform play, uh, to become a platform rather than just a product. Uh, and, and from, if, if we just look at sort of both, um, like, uh, to understand and, and help the listener, maybe as to why you would want to do both. So obviously you focus, focus first on, you know, Brazil as a market, which is a very large market and have achieved you know, phenomenal growth there. Um, you you know to uh, to to go into uh, or the internationalization phase and and not doing what I guess a lot of companies what we see in Europe may do or the U.S. Like in Europe, when you scale, you go to the U.S. Or Israel, when you scale, you go straight to the U.S. Uh, but in Brazil, you can actually grow to a pretty good size within Brazil, uh, and then you're looking at emerging markets, not the U.S. Versus maybe, can you explain? a little bit why there i mean you mentioned a little bit earlier about just kind of that untapped potential uh yeah. why why would you not want to go to the us maybe help the listener understand that
1: sure uh i think first i think it's a common question that why should you pursue those two initiatives at the same time since they're you know they seem to be in a different direction and uh and and of course i mean we we think that uh the addressable market in brazil is much bigger than, uh, than what we have now. We think that's you know, uh, probably around two million companies uh, that could be our customers, and we have you know, about 15,000 customers, so still scratching the surface there. And, and then for those customers, the idea of becoming really a platform and having more uh, more offers uh, in our solution is, uh, I, I would say, that's probably a no-brainer. But uh, the international part, we we think that we need to, it's a big opportunity. And we think that the window of opportunity for that is kind of narrow because at this point in our industry, I think that most companies are still focused either in the US or in other developed markets, by the way, they are right to do so because uh, no, that's where the money is and uh, where the, the markets are more mature and uh, we have more, uh, more demand. But at the same time, we, you know since we are from Brazil and we, we live this every day, there are a lot of different things that uh, the American companies simply don't get when they come to, to an, a country like Brazil. You know, For instance, they usually have you know, their contracts in English. They try to charge customers in U.S. dollars uh, you know, this, the, their customer support team is based in the US or, or in India, but you know they only speak English. Uh, they they don't have uh, connections and networks of partners or, or, or resellers uh, on the country. So that's especially for SMBs, it's a big challenge. like in, in, in situations like this, like in the last few uh, few weeks, our currency has been uh, deflated a lot. It's fluctuating a lot in the last few weeks, and people get really nervous. That they have commitments in uh, and and you know uh, uh, currency like U.S. dollars. So those are the kind of things that we need to adapt when we want to serve SMBs in a, in a market like Brazil. And then we when we go to Mexico and we go to Colombia, when we go to Indonesia, it's the same situation here. So I think it's uh, I think that. Not only it is an untapped opportunity, but I think that we actually develop the the right muscle and the right solution for for a country like this. And if I go to the U.S. or to Europe, maybe I I might lose the competitive edge that I have. Uh, on the other hand, I think that I, I you know if we do everything right, we we, we think that we can basically replicate what we built here. So in other emerging markets, so that's the reason that we decided to uh, assume this. What we call the contrarian approach for international expansion, because the, as you said, the natural path would be to go to the U.S. or to Europe. But in our case, we we're more uh, excited about this opportunity of uh, becoming the leader in emerging markets. And, and and I would say that probably another good side effect that we had uh, with uh, this strategy is that the team uh, actually sees this as an opportunity for them to have an international career with NRD. So it's a good way for us to attract and, re- and retain talent in the team as well. So it's a good side effect that we, we didn't see beforehand.
0: You've got the the strategies which have been able to kind of uh, act on like after this Series D. What about the execution sort of part of it? So in terms of, uh, again, um, I mean, the Series D was last year, right? Uh uh, was that right? Series D, right? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. last year, yeah. year. So, yeah. I mean, if, if if we're talking 2020, and again, I don't know how much uh, the strategy has changed, perhaps not um, more so uh, like for you with what's happening at the moment. Uh, but so you, you set out your 2020 goal, and you say, you know, uh, again, like we're going to be a platform company and we've got the international expansion. From the execution side of things, like how do you uh, sort of roll this out? Can you give a kind of like high level A view of that, you know, is it? uh, Are we on a quarterly basis saying, okay, we're going to focus for the next ninety days on, you know, working on the platform and then international expansion? How does it work in tandem? Just some ideas about how you go about executing against the strategies would be uh, would be cool to know. I think
1: it's a great question because it's something that we're learning along the way, and uh, I think we're getting better at now. So I think one of the challenges that we had with our series C after our series C was to really build a very good and experienced, uh, executive team. So now I have a, you know, my executive team is, I have a very good balance between people with uh, experience in later stages uh, of uh, of a technology company with people who have scale with us, uh, not necessarily, uh, from the early days at RD, but they have experience in other startups uh, in tech and tech here in Brazil. So I think we have this good balance now, and uh, and I think we have a good uh, governance system for managing the the operation and the core business here. So it took us about a couple of years to get to to that level of performance and and cohesion in the team there. For the new things and, and you know for, for that part of the business, I mean it's just uh, you know, regular you know, quarter by quarter basis, uh, getting efficiency, getting scale, uh, you know the, the regular reports and, uh, and, and incremental uh, improvements there. But the other part, uh, I think one of the learnings that we had was that we actually need to treat them as startups internally. And what I mean by that is that we actually need to basically isolate those teams, have an entrepreneur uh, in front of the, the initiative there, and uh, and basically have a, a different uh, set of goals and different set of metrics that we keep track of, instead of like revenue and you know unit economics on the you know just the regular operation there, we actually measure try to measure product market fit. Try to measure, you know, uh, adoption and early retention. Uh, we have a different rhythm and cadence. So, and uh, more specifically about my job, when I when I have meetings with my execs, you know, it's just some regular one-on-ones and and check-ins with them, just to see how the operations going, if there's anything I can help them, that kind of stuff. But when I have meetings with people leading uh, initiatives such as new products or new geographies, they're much more like board meetings in a sense that I'm uh, in that meeting. I'm, uh, I'm playing the role of an investor. Like I'm trying to coach them uh, in a way that, that I would if I were their investor. Uh, and, and then having uh, a different set of agenda and, 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 uh, and objectives there for, for those initiatives and in that way, I think we we have try to prevent that little initiative to get in the way of the bigger operation, and and vice versa also, because we tend to make it too corporate too soon uh, if if we don't watch for that. And we also try to preserve the same skill set and attitude that uh, entrepreneurs have in the early days. That they're not they're not the same types of uh, skills that you need to be successful at a later stage. So what I say a lot internally is that my executives are very good at the state that we are right now with the company. I'm, I'm not sure they're going to be great, you know, five years from now. And, and definitely they're not great for the early days. And also the, the founders that I have in those initiatives are not great for the stage that we are right now. So it's good to have that kind of uh, flexibility internally and, uh, and it, it seems to be working now. I think that, you know, we've made definitely made a lot of mistakes uh, in that sense the last couple of years, but it seems to be working a lot better now.
0: So you, it's a sort of nice segue into, um, you, you know, you mentioned there about your executive team and, um, you know, working or like acting as an investor, you know, with, um, uh, you know, running like almost like a, a, a board meeting for the, these, uh, strategic initiatives, uh, and one-to-one. So going into you as the CEO and, and your, uh, I, I guess, um, you know, daily kind of weekly, you know, monthly, uh, habits and, and sort of routine, um, like uh, a number of questions. So, um, how many people report into you? um, uh, uh, would be good to kind of know. Uh, and then like, how is your time kind of like, you know, uh, sort of spent, uh, during the week? Like, you know, how much time do you spend on strategy? How much time are you spending, you know, uh, in the business, like, you know, working, uh, you know, on on day-to-day things, if if, if anything. And so from managing people to thinking about strategy to actually, you know, working on on problems within the business, uh, just give us an insight into your your role as a CEO of a 700-person company.
1: Sure. Uh, So right now I have seven people reporting directly to me. Uh, and it, it's very. I think we we treat it as a very fluid uh, org you know, design there. So it makes sense now. it might not make sense three months from now. So uh, we, we we're always changing that, trying to improve that. But uh, that seems to be working. I think that's the probably the you know the best span of control that I can have because uh, if I have more than you know ten direct reports, I'll never be able to give uh, enough attention to, to everyone. Uh, so having said that, we today um, I usually spend if I if I look at a quarter, uh, I usually spend about a fourth of my time with uh, what we what I call people stuff like attention to my team, to my broader team, uh, and also doing skip level one-on-ones that kind of that kind of thing. So that goes about, and, and uh, watching out for, for the company culture too. So that's part of the, the, the people bucket. The other part, uh, the other fourth would be strategy. So defining, aligning, communicating strategy, both, uh, you know, to the board, to the, to the product team, to my exec team, to, to other parts of the organization. I think that would be uh, the second priority there third is execution so making sure that we hit the numbers uh, and and then like all the management stuff uh, and you know keeping track of projects kpis uh, helping uh, people deliver the results and and the other four are to be kind of miscellaneous but I would say that probably uh you know part as part of my job fundraising uh, fits into that so in, in times like this I, I don't have to do much it just keep um, the relationship alive with uh, with my investors, potential future investors too. But I don't have to do much. But when we are actively fundraising, then you know the the pie chart is a lot. Uh, uh, that that part of the pie chart is a lot larger than. Uh, and I doing marketing stuff like uh, going to events and, and you know doing podcasts, podcasts like this. It's part of what we call the marketing uh, bucket there. So. My time is roughly divided among those four things, uh, and I try to. I work with my EA to make sure that when we plan uh, the quarter, that at the end of the quarter, the actual agenda is a reflection of that uh, choice of priorities, rather than just to enter in a, into this reactive mode where you know, scaling meetings and uh, not thinking proactively about how to how you want to spend your time. Uh, and and then of course I think it's one of the hardest part of the job is that you actually have to learn to how to say no very often, and sometimes to people that you actually care a lot about. But it it, it is what it is, and and it's uh, I'm trying to not only get better at that, but also educate my team because they have the same demands now. You know, I have some people. Who run, you know, two hundred people organizations uh, below, uh, below them. So they have to learn how to uh, react the same way. So it's it's a big challenge. But uh, I think we, I, I think we've reached a point where, at least from my perspective, uh, I feel I feel calm about the things that I'm not doing. Which is for me, it's a good indicator of productivity. The, when you when you're relaxed about the all the things that you're saying no to
0: at the end i'll ask you how you stay calm but uh what i wanted to sort of ask now is so obviously we know that you do your your one-to-ones with your um you, you know with the seven direct reports right uh but i've seen I've, i follow you on instagram uh and you, you know i've seen you do uh like A sort of like town halls and uh, and so on. So, can you give us a bit of a picture about you know what does it look like from the the role of the CEO for communicating to 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 the seven hundred you know employees at, at RD? So, how often are you communicating? What formats are you communicating in, and why is it important?
1: I have uh, what we call minimum commitments uh, with the team, uh, which is basically with my direct reports, bi uh, monthly check ins and monthly one on ones. Then I have quarterly skip level one-on-ones with uh, uh, the uh, direct reports of my direct reports. Then I have uh, quarterly meetings with uh, these, what we call internally the steering committee, which is a larger group of about 30 people that uh, would discuss strategy there. And then uh, and another quarterly meeting with uh, the leadership group of the team. At, at about thirty thirty leaders in the company, there are the senior leaders in the company, managers and up. And then I have uh, monthly hangouts with the team, which is the town hall that I just mentioned. I usually do that on, on Fridays. We we talk about you know anything that happened. In uh, the last month, uh, we talk about numbers. At, at the end of the quarter, we we open up everything uh, in terms of performance. So those are the minimum commitments. And then I try to, uh, on top of that, I try to use uh, whatever to have uh, at my disposal. And especially when I think that there there's a need for an extra layer of communication or a, a, a new message or anything like that. So, for instance, this week I recorded a third-minute video to send to the team about the the whole thing uh, that we're 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 going through right now. Uh, not only uh, not only externally, but also what we're we're doing internally to fight this crisis now. So uh, I could have waited till Friday, but I th- I thought that uh, you know it'd be a very good opportunity for for us to get closer to the team, especially in a moment where, where we're not uh, working in the office. So, so I try not to be like, too uh, picky about the channels or the format. It changes a lot, but I, I do have that minimum commitment that, and, and one way it, it, it may seem that it's uh, a lot of work and a burden, but on the other hand, and something that my my coach always uh says to me is that if you uh, actually fulfill that commitment with the team, then you're free to do anything else, like everything else is optional, but you you get the operation running, and then people know that you know if they have something to talk to you, or if they have a problem, if they have any issues, they have the specific uh times and formats to to bring that conversation to you. So, yeah, I think that's roughly what I use today.
0: Now, I'm sort of bringing it back uh, to you for the, the kind of the final sort of parts of the, of the show, right? Um, you, you're leading, this is the second, you know, startup, or the second business that you're, uh, um, you, you know, you're running. Uh, you're running a, a, a very large and, and successful business. For you, first of all, like, how do you learn to lead like what are you doing to learn to lead to be a better leader um uh be interested to kind of know what are you doing there you know uh, is, is it reading you know coach uh, do you have coaches are you part of other programs uh this sort of thing so like to learn learn about that before then we get into uh, you, you mentioned about being calm uh and uh, you, you know how, how do you stay calm what are your, your kind of tips uh, for, for that um, but uh, let, let's uh, let's start with that learning to be a leader um, what what are your what do you do there?
1: I remember one of one of the conference that I was at probably four or five years ago and uh, and somebody was interviewing Keith Rabelan that uh, famous investor and then uh, his uh, the question was about uh, how to become a CEO because you know uh, are you born a CEO or you know can you make CEOs? Uh, and then his answer was uh, something that stuck with me is that, yeah, you, you like nobody's born a CEO and he, he definitely has good examples in, in his portfolio companies. Uh, Aaron Levy is one of those good examples. A guy is pretty young and uh, and he's learned how to lead a company not only as big as box, but also in enterprise sector, you know he has to deal with uh, you know uh, leaders uh, senior leaders were probably twenty or thirty years older than than him so his his answer was around those lines that you you, you can learn how to be a good leader, but you actually have to devote time and energy to do that It, it doesn't come uh, easy so I, my perspective on that is that okay. I'll do my best to become the best version of of, of me as a leader. Uh, if I feel that it's not enough for RD, or if my board feels that it's not enough for D, happy to talk about it. So I I I'm not attached to the to the position or the title. But while I'm still running the company, I I need to make sure that I I do my best to to become the best leader that I can. And then, the the, the, the you know there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of you know uh, things that I, I I watch or listen to. I try to go to uh, executive programs that uh, you know I did uh, one at Stanford, another one at HBS. Uh, one per year, which is good for for you to you know take a step back uh, in the company and 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 learn different different uh things and also over the last couple of years I've been uh, using the help of a coach it's helping me a lot because uh, there are many things that uh, and and in my case uh he has the experience with so he he's able to guide me through some of the situations that I go through uh and in other times, it's just uh, somebody to, for you to share your ideas or concerns with. And uh, it's a good way to, you know, kind of have the reflection of those thoughts back into you. And then it makes you uh, realize things a little bit better and, uh, and think a little more clear. So it's been very helpful to me. And the, and the last thing that I do, especially this last couple of weeks, I've been doing this a lot is to talk to other entrepreneurs in the same situation. So I, I'm part of different organizations. One of them is Endeavor, a global organization that uh, helps entrepreneurships and uh, and scale ups. Uh, and here not not only globally but here in Brazil too, we have a lot of uh, other companies there are uh, roughly at the same stage as RD. so and I have those, you know I, I'm friends with uh, with the CEOs of those companies. So in situations like this, like we just call each other and then talk uh, about shit that's going on, like, especially mm-hmm. in those last couple of weeks, like it's new for everybody. Like nobody has gone through this ever. So not even, you know, more experienced leader or, or your coach. So I think it's a good way for, for us to learn and, and, and also to, to keep uh, emotionally uh, calm in the process. So I'm not, a, I'm not a calm person. I mean, I'm, I'm, I get very anxious. I, I get stressed a lot. But one thing that I'm trying to get better at is that I'll be, I try to be more deliberate and proactive about my decisions on what to pursue, what to do, and how to allocate my time. Uh, and uh, even if it takes time for me to actually plan my week or, or my month, but then after I, I, I make a choice, like I try to be calm about the things that I'm not uh, I'm, I'm choosing not to do at this time, which is for me, the, the biggest factor of anxiety and, uh, and stress, the things that I know that I should be doing, but I'm not being able to do for whatever reason. So uh, I think that's what's helping me a lot uh, in terms of managing and stress and anxiety. A lot, of, a lot of different things, like, you know, from how to manage the, the schedule, having uh, dedicated time for, for, for my family, having also dedicated time for my hobby. I, I drive go-karts and, and, and cars, so it's another way for me to have an emotional outlet, too. Uh, so having specific times for those things also help a lot. That's how I'm dealing with the, with the pressure. Uh it's not easy but it's fun if you yeah. if you think uh think of it as a learning experience as well
0: do you do you switch off from work on the weekends and just dedicate saturday sunday to family friends and and yourself or or do you find that that's not possible uh and you still have to kind of allocate some part you know uh you know towards work um you know how, how do you work uh, on the weekends
1: I try not to work on weekends. Uh, one thing that I do every weekend is to uh, reserve a couple of hours just to plan the week. Cause I feel that uh, when I, when I spend that, uh, that time to plan the week, I start Monday in a much better shape. So I think it, it's worth doing that. Uh, doesn't necessarily need to be at a specific time. So it can be on Saturday morning, uh, Sunday night. Uh, it depends a lot on, on what the, uh, uh, what i what I have planned for the weekend uh but then of course like there are times where you, we actually need to work so i I try not to be uh too radical on any extreme year. so for instance like this couple of weeks have been very uh challenging for us and it's it's not that I can you know, just go to the beach and stay there hang out there and pretend that nothing's happened in the world. So it wouldn't be right anyway. But at the same time, I don't believe that it's a sustainable rhythm if you work every weekend and you don't have time to switch off. So even when I have those two hours, those are the only two hours that I'm actually working on the weekend. Uh, The other other times I'm not, you know, I've tried not to to think about work and try to disconnect from work as well. Uh, It's hard, but uh, this is what I'm trying to do, uh, especially in the last few years.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, I know well, we've, we've come to the end of the show there, but uh, a, a lot of learnings uh, and, um, you know, from, uh, uh, I guess, you, you know, the, the Series D, but, uh, but also I think from a, a lot of people that certainly aren't at the Series D uh, sort of level uh, uh, and beyond uh, to understand, you know, how to, to, to kind of run a business and look at strategy and, and execution. So really uh, appreciate you sharing uh, that with our, our audience today, uh, uh, Eric. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Alex. You you know that I'm a big fan of your work, and
1: uh, do anything to help the community too.
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the SAS Revolution show. Uh, if you enjoyed it don't forget to leave us a 5 star review if you think it's worth 5 stars. Just to note uh, or announce that we have SaaS Stock Remote which is our first virtual conference taking place on June the 10th and 11th. From a time frame perspective it's going to be accessible to a global audience. So we're going to accommodate our global listenership of the SAS Revolution show. We're going to include a lot of our usual content, although it's going to be new content around, you know, how do you build, grow, scale a SaaS company. Additionally, we're going to be covering topical content around dealing with crisis, dealing with coronavirus, amongst other things. We're going to have, uh, be joined by great speakers like Thomas Tungus, David Scott, Mark Roberge, Christoph Jans, uh, amongst uh, many others. So the, from the content side of things, it's going to be uh, super exciting, interesting, valuable uh, additionally, there's going to be great networking opportunities. There's going to be a virtual expo. We're going to be doing private roundtables, investor matchmaking, the full startup program. So if you've ever been to a SASDOC conference, expect many of the uh, the same things, but also some new and exciting additions. So June the 10th and 11th, that's Doc remote, our first online conference. Go to sasdoccom forward slash remote for more details. And we hope to see you there.